Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. If you got it, say amen. amen. Awesome. The hand of the Lord came upon me. And uh, let me start over. This is Ezekiel. Uh, he's getting ready. Let me give a little preface before we read this. Ezekiel is getting ready to receive a word from the Lord uh, because Israel is in a trashy place. And God always speaks. And I want you to see this because in the Old Testament, we often think that God always responded with vengeance or with uh, attitude. But the redemptive nature has bled from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And we're going to see that here in the text, that God does not leave the children of Israel. Israel uh, to their own devices. He doesn't leave them dead in their own trespasses of sin. So let's read this. Verse 1, Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass uh, pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. (laughs) It's letting you know these bones had no ability to live. Verse 3, and he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know I'm humble, only you know. Verse 4, again he said to me, uh, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord God to these bones. Surely, somebody say surely. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews as, uh, on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. I, can I stop for a second? Look at me for a second. Did you notice that God said, I'm going to do it? I, this is, just came to me right now. I need you to hear me because many of you are in the crux of transformation right now and, and you, you're thinking about giving up, but I need you to know you need to stop working on you and let God work on you. God is going to transform you. I, when I read that, I just felt that in my spirit that you need to know it is not up to you. It's up to the Spirit's leading. So I just, I need you to believe that, that it may not feel like it. It may feel like a crushing. It may feel like chaos. It may feel boring and dead, but know that God is doing a work in you. All right. I just need to give you that little commercial. Back. What verse are we at? Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked to the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, then says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Our last verse. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an, ex, uh, an exceedingly great army. Let me read that last verse one more time. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. I want to preach a message, stand for a moment. I want to preach a message uh, titled, The Authority of the Believer. Um, If I were to give it a different title, uh, a subtitle, I would say, keep standing for a moment. I I would say, um, it's not up to him, it's up to you. It's not up to him, it's up to you. God, your words bless. We need your blessing, God. Bless us. Speak to our hearts. God, I pray that those who um, are struggling with fear, struggling with um, overthinking it, Lord, and, and, and being paralyzed to do ministry because of whatever reasons. I pray today that we will have a revelation of the authority of God in our life. God, we are not afraid of the enemy. 
because he has power, but we have authority. So I ask, speak to our hearts tonight. Empower us. In Jesus' name we pray, God, let your people be edified, let Jesus be glorified, and God, let Satan be terrified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, You can take your seat on your way down. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, it's not up to God. It's up to you. I think it's so important that I start there, and I know that that's a bold statement to say because it is very Christian cliche to say that it's all up to God. Quite often when we say things like it's all up to God, it's after we have done everything that we can do um, and we've left it in God's hands. It's almost uh, to the point where we sometimes abdicate our responsibility in the process of what God wants to do uh, because we don't want to get, get, get involved. And so what happens is you hear people say it's up to God when really God said, I've left you in charge of this earth. So if you see the world getting darker, don't blame the Republicans, don't blame the Democrats, blame the church. This is why the Bible says uh, that judgment does not start in the world. It doesn't start in the White House. It doesn't start out there. It starts in the house of God first. Judgment starts here because God wants us to get get it right. I always say that the condition of the world is the grade of the church. One more time. The condition of the world is the grade of the church because anything that the church tolerates, the world amplifies. So before we had um, homosexuals that were legislators in the world, we had them ordained as pastors in the church first because whatever the church tolerates, the world gets an ex- Okay, y'all aren't with me? We, we have deception in the church, so of course we're going to have more deception in the world. We are the standard bearers. Quite often, the Church of America, we act like a uh, thermometer instead of a thermostat. You know the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? A a thermometer uh, changes depending on its environment. A thermostat changes its environment. (laughs) I know I'm not yelling yet, but that's a good point. Uh, And I want to ask you, are you a, a, a thermostat Christian or a thermometer Christian? Why do I say that? Because when it comes to the change of our nation, the change of our world, the change of your world, I know that you believe that it's all up to God. Some of it's up to God, but he wants to partner with you. God does nothing on the earth without partnership with his people. Um, And we're going to see why in just a moment, but let's backtrack all the way to the book of Genesis so I can set some foundation for this message. We come to the book of Genesis and Adam and Eve have messed up and death enters the world. We have no idea, at, at least on this earth, we have no idea what the world would have become if they hadn't have had that initial sin. Nonetheless, they sinned and messed up, and for the first time ever, things start dying. Not just people, but there's thorns on, on top of uh, the, the roses, the Bible says. And now childbirth is painful, and pain has entered the world. And now things are beginning to die, and everything has started to die. And, and, and until the second Adam comes, who's the second Adam? The second Adam is Jesus. And Jesus comes to restore everything that was lost in the garden. So in the first garden, we sinned and messed up. In the second garden, the garden of Gethsemane, we were one with salvation. Is this making sense to anybody? So the second Adam comes, Grandma, and he restores everything that has been lost from the the first Adam. The goal is to take the darkness and turn it into light. That's why Christ in us, the hope of glory, but the light isn't shown, watch this, until Galatians 2.20 is enacted in our lives. What does Galatians 2.20 say? Can I teach? Is that all right? Galatians 2.20, it says that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If we, see, I keep saying it, and I'm going to do it one day. I'm going to just put a casket at the altar and be like, come on, let's die. 
<laughs> because most of the reason we're offended, most of the reason we're hurt, most of the reason we're full of pride, is because we haven't died yet. You know who never gets offended? The cemetery. <laughs> You can step on them. You can kick them. The folks alive will get offended, but the people at the cemetery will never, because they've already died. The reason we are not seeing the transformation that we want to see is because we haven't died to our pride, died to our fear, died to our insecurities. We haven't allowed God to kill us. <laughs> he's a, <laughs> this is funny, but so he, he's a murdering God. <laughs> I heard somebody say, yeah. He, he, he wants to kill our flesh. He wants us to die so that the light of Christ will come forth. The text that we read just a moment ago is a conversation that's happening between Ezekiel and the Lord. And Israel is in a bad place. So he looks up and has a conversation with God, and God asks a question. Now, whenever God asks a question, you gotta know that it's rhetorical, because he's never been surprised. He's never had an idea. He knows the end from the beginning. He's Alpha and Omega. He's beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. God knows everything. So whenever God asks a question, you gotta know, it's because you don't know the answer. God steps down into the Garden of Eden, and he says, Adam, where are you? Is God bad at playing hide and go seek? No. Adam had forgotten where he was. Hmm. So God asked the question, Ezekiel, can these bones, can they live? And I think quite often God will probe those questions in sermon form, in Instagram form, in what do I mean? God will often give you little reminders to ask you, where's your faith at? Yeah. We're praying for dang. You believe he can have a, a new heart? You believe I can heal him? God will always present challenges before you, but it's always a question of your faith. Do you believe that it can happen? God says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel does what we all would have done because we're all humble Christians. Lord, only you know whether these bones can live. And you think God's about to say, yeah, you're right. You got an A on the quip. God just almost ignores his response and says, you prophesy. <laughs> Lord, save my friends. You save them. Lord, heal my friend. You heal him. Lord, bring transformation on my campus. You bring transformation on your campus. No, Lord, only you can do it. Oh, no, no, no. I can do it through you. So you prophesy, Ezekiel. And the Bible tells us in that text, it doesn't just say that they were bones, y'all. Mom, it says the bones were very dry. What it's letting us know is that this is a hopeless situation. It's bad enough that the bones are dead, that the people are dead, but they've been dead a long time because it's dry now. And I wonder how many dry situations you have. How many dry situations you approach often in life that you do nothing about? I'm gonna challenge you today. Because we are surrounded by deserted areas. What do I mean by dry? I mean where the spirit of God isn't flowing. You've been put on your campus. You've been put on your job and, and, and in a dry place. Oh, nobody's a Christian here. I just wish we had a Bible study on Thursdays. Start one. The, the point of light is to expel the darkness. But it's important that you stop abdicating your responsibility to the spirit of the Lord and you do your part. Because it's not just up to him, baby. It's up to you. Yeah. Here's the crazy part. When I read this text, I, I'm thinking... This conversation is kind of weird. It's almost like a, Kelly, like a follow the leader type thing. 
Because when you go back home, and I want you to go back home and read it to make sure your pastor isn't preaching heresy. When you go back home and, <laughs> and you read it, you're going to see that God says, um, can these bones live? They have that conversation. And then God just tells them, um, okay, the bones need to come together. Prophesy over the bones. And he prophesies over the bones, and the bones come together. Okay, but they got no flesh in Prophesy to the flesh. Prophesy to the flesh. Flesh comes on them. Ah, yeah, they're there, but... They're like most Christians in church. They're just there. They're not really breathing, doing anything. But, and uh, if you're not laughing, you're probably offended. Um, and, and, and God tells Ezekiel, okay, prophesy. So the situation is, God hears the need. And God's like, Ezekiel, meet the need. No, 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 God. You save my friends. Well, I can't do that if you never talk to them about Jesus. You do your part and I'll do mine. Come on, God, I need you to bring revival on my campus. I can't even get you to pray for your campus. Like, I, there's a partnership that's happening, and God is giving us a template for how easy ministry should be. Follow the leader. Just say what he said. Just do what he told you to do. Don't make it hard. Don't overthink it. Don't be afraid of making mistakes, because we're going to all make some mistakes, so you might as well embrace it now. If you're going to fail, be a good one. Here's the problem. Most of y'all call yourselves failures, and you haven't earned the right. Failure is a title to be earned. You can't fail if you don't try. I said that with my chest. No, I need you to hear that. Many of you keep making up things that just aren't real. It's just not true. I'm afraid of failing. Okay, when did you fail? You never shared your faith. You gotta go for it. But it's the lie of the enemy to keep you bound and he'll keep you in a place where you just think, oh, it's just all up to Jesus to minister to my family. Well, you know, God probably wants to use you if you'll just be nice to your family. Okay. Here's my question. How does God want to transform the world? Now remember, we're in a series about fivefold ministry, and this is all going to make sense. Y'all know I preach like a burrito. I just kind of throw it all in there and wrap it up at the end, right? Yeah. Frank likes my food analogies. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this word down, one word, because this is how God has been trying to transform people from Genesis all the way to the book of Maps. One word. Ministry. Ministry. Make it make sense, Pastor Dale. I got you. Don't worry. Ministry. From beginning to end, it's always been about ministry for the Lord. It's important that we start here because uh, in, in the other text that we've been following, it says that the apostle and prophet, the teacher and the pastor, they are not the ones doing the work of the ministry. They are preparing you all to do the work of the ministry. So the question becomes, what the heck is ministry? Let's dive into this. Ministry is from the Greek word diakoneo. If you can say it better, be my guest. Ministry is from the Greek word diokoneo, meaning to serve. Or sometimes the other word that's used, I don't even know how to say that one. Uh, it means to serve as a bondservant. So the term ministry, the literal translation, it, it means to serve. That's all ministry is. Ministry is not about preaching. It's not about leading worship. It's not about a platform. Ministry is about service. This is where we get in trouble. Because if you're leading worship and that's your ministry instead of serving, you let pride and ego raise you up. You're not supposed to be leading worship, Matt. You're supposed to be serving by way of leading worship. I'm not supposed to be preaching. I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, uh, serving by way of preaching. That's all ministry is. 
And in a culture where everyone is trying to be served, we've been called to be countercultural. We've not been called to be served. But look at what it says in, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but rather to serve. We've also been called to a life of service. See, when I first started preaching, Pastor Roger Wong, his son was my intern pastor, or my boss, basically. And we're sitting in the office. Some of you have heard this story. And he uh, is giving me an encouragement. I'm just going into ministry. I think I was 18 years old at the time. And he's like, we got to talk. And I just want you to get prepared. Stay humble. God's going to use you. Powerful. And here's your towel. And in black culture, when a preacher gives you a towel... That's like a sign of affection. It means, oh, preach boy, because we have a, a towel. And we, I don't really sweat because I'm a gentleman. I glisten. Uh, but a towel to wipe your sweat and your spit while you're preaching and all that stuff. Um, so I was like, I have a big smile on my face. I said, man, thank you. And my boss was half white and half Asian. So I was like, man, I didn't even know you knew this black culture thing. And he said, what black culture thing? I said, I explained to him what I just explained to you. He said, this isn't for preaching. Uh, can you go clean the bathrooms? <laughs> I was offended, y'all. I said, that was a setup. I went to the bathroom. I'm, I'm legit upset. Like, I feel a little humiliated. And I'm cleaning the toilet. And I'm seething, like, just upset. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit always wants to talk to you when you're mad. Get your attitude together. It's like, what is it, Lord? He said, until you can treat this toilet like you would treat a pulpit, you're not ready for the pulpit. Because you think it's about preaching. In reality, it's about serving. People, I, I heard a quote recently, and I thought it was perfect. It said, uh, people don't get judged into changing. They get loved into changing. I wonder how many people would be transformed in our workplaces if we would actually serve in our workplaces. Ooh, okay, okay. Because you were thinking serving in church. We don't need all you guys to serve in church. We need more of you, please. We, we do need more. But if all of you were serving in church, we would have no need for you. What we need you to serve is in places that need ministry. But if you're thinking, I'm just here at this job just so I can get my paycheck, my boss better not talk to me, I'm not doing my coworkers, we're not doing, you are missing out on opportunities to minister. You don't need a pulpit, God's giving you a cubicle. Whew, I wish I was sitting where y'all sitting, I'd be amening right now, this is such a good word. I, I need you to hear. Here's the thing, though. When it comes to ministry, you've got to understand you're not the first to be a minister. God was the first to be a minister. Pastor Del, where you, when did God ever do ministry? He's been doing ministry with the children of Israel since the beginning of time. Let's not use the word ministry. Let's use the word serve. He's been serving the children of Israel for a long time. Isn't that wild? To think that the God of the universe who formed the nine systems in our body that I don't fully understand comes down and serves his people on top of them being rebellious. Come on, parents. Talk to me. How much are you doing to your kids if they're talking smack back to you? It's like, no, get in your room and sit down. But that wasn't the heart of God. The children of Israel messed up, were in the desert for 40 years, and God was a chef and served them some manna. Got real good. Served them some quail. Their shoes got ready to wear out, so he turned, he turned into, you know, Nike. And he served them with new shoes. And, and, and then it got real hot, so he served them as an air conditioner. And the Bible says he became a cloud by day 
And then it got real cold at night. So he served them in, by way of becoming a heater. And the Bible says he turned into a pillar of fire by night. And by way of their service, they survived the desert. I need you to understand this. Because the text that we've been reading about all of us being called to ministry, it's not about preaching in this. I need that to get out of your head. Who has God put in your life to serve? Just right around you. Especially those who don't know Jesus. It might be your children. It might be your parents. But God's put somebody in your life that you've been called to serve. And you don't know it yet, but that service is going to draw them to the Spirit of the Lord. Somebody say yes. Why do we even need ministry? It's because Adam messed up. If Adam had messed up, we would have just been serving and ministering to the Lord in that sense. But the reason we need to kind of, and when I talk about service and ministry, what I'm talking about is the type that wins the loss. We're not just talking about, because we're all called to serve on every level, but I'm talking about that intentional ministry where, no, I've been called to serve in this area. I've been called to serve these people, to serve the poor, to serve. Israel, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, this is what God says to Abram, who would soon become Abraham. Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless, that's a lot of blessings. I will bless you, uh, those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families, not of Israel, but of the earth, shall be blessed. Let me point something out. You ever ask the question, why Israel? Like, where the heck did Israel come from? Why did God make the special people? Second Peter, I think it's 2.10, says God made a people who were not a people. Uh, this is the conversation God's having with Abram. I'm getting ready to start a whole race of people. And so he brings Abram out of his familiar and comfortable place. Because watch this. If God's going to ever use you, it's not going to be in a comfortable place. It's always in the level of uncomfortability, discomfort. Remember when I got ordained, they told me, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> And so Abram goes, makes some babies eventually. He has to wait a little while. He births Isaac. Isaac births Jacob. And Jacob births Israel, or the, the nations of Israel, the 12 tribes. Watch this. Children of Israel were the special people to the Lord called to receive God's favor. God wanted to create a people that he could just pour his favor on. These are my people. They are special to me. I've covered them. I've protected them. I've guided them. Why? Is God um, racist? Is he xenophobic? No, no, no. What he is is smart. God's purpose for Israel was to be advertisement of his goodness. The goal was for you to look at how he walked with Israel, and you would know, even though I'm not Israeli, eventually, that I can come under that same favor. The reason for Israel, one of the main purposes of Israel, was so that the world would be able to see the favor and the blessing of God on their life and want to serve them. I, I, I point this out because without a revelation, uh, how do I want to put this? Give me a second. We've been called out to be trophies of the goodness of God. You and I, we are saved, and yes, we're going to heaven, but our lives have been called and been meant to be trophies of the grace and the goodness of God. 
That's one way that God's going to win this, this world is by looking at those of us who do love him and how we live. Even what the Bible says. It says, they shall know that you're my followers by the way that you love each other. People are going to look at you. You're a living epistle. They're going to read you, and they're going to want to serve me. Like, our, the way that we interact with each other, the way that we serve each other is actually a witness. The way that we don't serve each other is a lack of that witness. Mm. Let me hit a few more points, and then I want to bring Pastor Andrew up to share something. The message is about authority, and I, let me kind of clarify this because I know it's kind of all over the place. I was at a youth camp one time, and people like to play pranks on me. Yeah, I hate it. And so there's this little chubby Asian kid named Lex. And Lex had decided, I'm going to pour a big bucket of water on Pastor Dell. Now, black people in their hair. Let me explain something. <laughs> As you can see, I got my new little cockroaches in my head. And uh, <laughs> don't do a close-up. Uh, like, don't wet me. So somebody comes, and one of the kids sneaks over and says, hey, Lex, he's getting ready to pour a bunch of water on you, Pastor Dell. Because whatever the Holy Spirit doesn't tell me, his people will. Um, and so I was like, okay. So I would see Lex from a far distance and say, hey, Lex, what you doing? And Lex kind of looks in that face of stun like, oh, nothing. Lex, come here. And Lex looks at me, uh-uh. <laughs> he has a bucket of water in his hand. He's like, Lex, come here. He puts down the bucket. No, no, no. Bring the bucket of water. <laughs> Lex brings the bucket of water. He stands in front of me, Kelly, and I'm like, Lex, what are you about to do with that water? He's like, nothing, Pastor Dell. <laughs> I was like, I, I know what you're about to do with that water. Now, this is when I was a youth pastor. I'm, I'm different now. I'm delivered um, a little bit. And uh, he's like, I'm not going to do anything with it. I said, you are going to do something with it, Lex. And there's about 50 kids around us watching this laugh in their head off. It's like, Lex, you're going to take that bucket of water and you're going to pour it on yourself. Because <laughs> I was like, why? I was like, because you were planning on pouring it on me. So I want to see this um, to completion. I'm just going to switch the person. It's now you. <laughs> Lex, no joke, pours it on himself. Then afterwards, he starts laughing. It's just a weird moment. But I often think that that's what it's like in working with darkness in the world. Let me get serious for a second. Because Lex had the power to do something, but he honored the authority that I had. See, the enemy has power. Don't let anybody lie to you. Yeah. The enemy does have power. I've watched, uh, I've watched people slither on snakes like it's not humanly possible. I've watched people levitate. The, the devil has power. Here's the thing. He doesn't have authority. You missed it. Because if Deacon Job was here, he would tell you that he had power to hurt Job, but he had to go to heaven and get authority to hurt Job. Because the devil has power, but he doesn't have authority. This is why it's important that you understand that you don't have to have fear because you have power and authority. Because the Bible says that when Jesus rose up, he rose up. Some translations say power. Some say he rose up with all authority. I'll take both of them. What it means is, according to math, if Jesus has 100% of the authority, how much does the devil have? This is the slow class. Come on, talk to me. Help me out with the math. This is Asian American Appreciation Month. That was bad. I'm sorry. Uh, if, the, if God has 100% of the authority, how much does the devil have? So what are you afraid of? This is why God makes it sinful to be fearful. He says in, in Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 that cowards will not inherit the kingdom. 
And then it says liars, whoremongers, thieves, all the rest of it. But at the top of the list is cowards. Because to be full of fear is a lack of revelation of the authority that you have in Christ. It's okay to get scared sometimes. We're human. You get a doctor's note, says you need a heart transplant. Of course, you don't get scared. Don't sit in that fear. Start walking and sitting in your authority. Take authority over that thing by way of prayer, by way of fasting, by way of reading your word. Take authority over that thing. Is this making sense? I'm going to come to a conclusion. I told you I didn't have a lot to preach today. There are a lot of Christians today that are walking around with a bowl full of power and no authority. So we preach. But Paul said, I didn't come to you with a bunch of fancy words or lofty lectures. He said, I came to you with a demonstration of power. But when you don't have power and authority, you have to depend on logic. So here's what we've done in the American church. We have built a whole church system that doesn't need the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Now, honestly, the majority of churches, at least in our nation, we, what is it that we do that can be done without the Holy Spirit? Very little. The average church in America prays for two minutes corporately a week. The average church. And, and we've got access to all this power, but we refuse to walk in the authority. And what happens is, when you relinquish the supernatural, when you give up on the, the things you cannot see, the things that require faith, you will always become more dependent on what you can see in logic. So when you are not believing God, to shift and change your nation. When you're not believing God to shift your region and your city, you start believing that the shift can only come by who's in the White House. Because you can't see in the spirit, you can only see logic. Is this making sense? And what God is trying to do is he's trying to get us to repent so that we see that the spiritual world is way more real than what we can see in the natural. Okay, come here, Elisha. Elisha was with his assistant, and they were on a ministry trip, and all of a sudden, Elisha gets surrounded by an incredible army. And as the army surrounds him, his assistant gets nervous, and Elisha starts praying. I've shifted in this last season. I counsel a little different these days. A lot of my responses are uh, go to therapy, pray, fast. Why do I say that? Because Ezekiel could have counseled his assistant's fear out of him. But instead he responds by praying. His assistant goes, there's a great army surrounding us. What are we going to do? And Elisha takes his authority and says, God, open up the eyes of my, of my servant so that he can see that there are more with us than those who are against us. And the Bible says, I'm, I'm going to try not to preach this part because I don't wear my comfortable pants, but the Bible says that another army arises and it's in the spirit and they are angels and they're in chariots, except the difference between their armies and the armies in the natural is that the chariots in the spirit are the ones that are on fire. I've got good news for you. No weapon formed against you will ever prosper and everything that rises up against you, the Lord will cause it to fall. And here's the thing I love. Our chariots are different. What are you talking about, Pastor Dale? There are two chariots on the mountaintop. Just one of them is on fire. I, I need you to hear this. You, you are facing some stuff in your life, and it feels like it is un, insurmountable to overcome. 
But the good news is that God has got some stuff for you that's been set on fire, and it may look regular, it may look basic, you may look simple, but if you've got a certain fire, victory is your portion. Thank you for the one clap. I was trying to preach until I got at least two amens. I, I worked it out. Now, all that to say, now, here's the part where you're going to stop clapping. In the kingdom, you're only given authority if you're willing to submit to authority. <laughs> Lock the doors. <laughs> Lord spoke this. Oh, mercy. Your pastor is clumsy. Y'all pray for me. I was studying this week preparing this word, and I knew I was going to talk about submission at some point in the series, but I was reading over the text in Ephesians where it says that he's given us gifts for the body, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors. Believe it or not, your pastor is a gift to you. The only person who said amen was the one I pay. (laughs) Uh, they are gifts to the body. And let me say this, because the spirit of the world is starting to enter the church. We need to stop dishonoring spiritual leaders. No, I'm going to say it one more time because I didn't get enough amens. I know the world wants to slam Hillsong. They want to slam Carl Lentz. And yes, they were wrong. Yes, they were in sin. But we cover. Yeah. We are a people of grace. And what we're doing is we are taking on the spirit of the world. And we've started. It's one thing to call leaders out. And you better be careful about how you do it. Because just because people mess up doesn't mean God's hand is off of them. And you got to be careful how you treat God's anointed. This is why he warns you. He says, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. I didn't mean to go here, but I feel like somebody needs this. Um, we, we have to be It breaks my heart to hear how we talk about the fallen. And when I hear people talk about the fallen, it's just an identification for me that you're not spiritual. Because the Bible says, those who are spiritual, let them restore those who have fallen gently. Oh, y'all don't want that word, gently. I'm not even going to go there. Because we rebuke and we think we have to be mean. You do not have to sacrifice kindness on the altar of truth. You can be truthful and kind. Let me finish this because I told you I wasn't going to preach long and I ended up preaching long. In... Matthew chapter 8, there's a story where a centurion's kid is sick. And Jesus approaches him and says, okay, take me to the house. And the centurion has a revelation that each believer that's in a local church needs to receive. He says, you don't have to come to my house. Now, this man's a centurion, Roman. He's not even a Jew. He says, "Um, you don't have to come to my house. I'm a man who's under authority. I get it. And I have authority. And I know when I say for somebody to do something, they have to do what I said. So Jesus, because I have a revelation of authority, I know that all you have to do is speak it. The winds and waves are going to have to obey and come under your authority. This man has a revelation of authority and taps into Jesus' authority. You, You missed it. I said it too fast. Let me say it slower. Because this man has a revelation of biblical, godly authority. It's not cloaked in spiritual language, but he's got a revelation of authority and order. Because of that, he taps into the authority that Christ has. And Christ just speaks the word and heals his shout. There are a lot of orphans in the body that are trying to move in an authority that they've never submitted to. Yeah, as I prepared this message, that was about as many amens as I expected to hear. Because everybody wants to be a pastor. Nobody wants to be pastored. 
Everybody wants to be a worship leader. Nobody wants to actually worship. No, and, and we are asking for authority that we're not willing to submit to. Yeah. And part of the problem is it's not all your fault. Some of it's our fault because we haven't taught the church how to be pastored. We haven't taught them proper authority. But submission, I know it's a bad word, it's a godly word. <laughs> and the Lord spoke that to me because he said, Dell, though I've given them apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, if they don't submit to them, they can't receive the gift. Write this down. Because you cannot submit to that which you will not honor. You cannot submit. I stole that from Alicia. You cannot submit to what you don't honor. Now, why do we want to submit? Because there's, there's fruit that's born from submission. We grow because of submission. Now, let me define submission for you a little bit. Is this making sense? Is it clear? I was really struggling with how to communicate this. Now, I need you to understand that submission is not a surrender. See, a lot of us have a hard time with submission because we're afraid that we're su surrendering our autonomy. And that's not what it is. I love the way that Pastor Andrew puts it. I've been quoting our people a lot because y'all deep. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Andrew said, submission is a willing yielding in love. Wow. One more time. Submission is a willing yielding in love. And I thought that was so important because I was telling him, I was like, I'm struggling to figure out how to communicate this because what I want to communicate is that submission and obedience are not the same thing. You can obey and still not be submitted. I could prove it to you, but I'm not going to name any names. You, you can obey and, and not be submitted because submission has to, is a heart thing. It's a heart posture. It's a, a heart. See, some of you, you, you can do what pastor asks you to do. You know, pastor says, hey, can you come in and serve? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, pastor. Oh, he's asking me to serve. Oh, he's going to come. <laughs> That's not submitted. You're obeying and praise God for obedience. So I don't have to give you the right hand of fellowship. <laughs> Thank God for obedience. But what God honors, it's not just obedience. He wants submission. He wants our heart to be intertwined. That's why I had to preach that message, keys to disunity. Because many of us, even in our church, we, we, we're not experiencing that, that coming together, that our hearts are aligned together. See, submission is about aligning. It's what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, when I stop following Christ, you stop following me. But still treat me well. No, 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 I, I mean that. Because many of you think you have permission to beat up the pastor when he makes mistakes. Oh, I feel like fighting now. Saul was a horrible king living in rebellion, and God wouldn't allow David to touch him. David wanted to because he went to a cave, got some of his clothes, and said, Saul, I could have killed you if I wanted to. So there was something in him. But God said, even though he's in rebellion, you let me take care of him. Here's why you need to submit. <laughs> and listen, this is not a message we will be preaching all the time because we know that this has been used to abuse people. Right. But without submission, we can't go any farther. Amen. We've gone as far as we can without submission. Right. What's hitting my heart right now is I'm thinking about different ones, not in our church, but just different people I've pastored over the years. And I've thought, man, you think I'm trying to get you to submit? so that I can manipulate you, so that I can do what I want with your life. I'm trying to get to you to submit because like a personal trainer to a person who's working out, I know some stuff that you don't know. 
I've seen some things that you haven't seen. Being a pastor, and especially a prophetic pastor, it's uh, me and Kelly, we were driving uh, somewhere, and I was driving because she drives two miles an hour. And so <laughs> I was driving, and as, as no, no, you were driving because I was tired, and, and I was frustrated that you were driving two miles an hour. <laughs> we're driving, and on the other side of the freeway, stop traffic, just nothing moving for probably about a mile. We get to a mile and there's no cars and it's just smooth sailing. And I look at Kelly and I said, that's what it's like being a pastor and a prophet. Because I want to go all the way back to the front of that line and tell them, or to the back of the line and tell the people in the back of the line, yo, there's an accident, get off here and make a detour. I know you can't see the accident. I know you don't see it coming. It seems like everything's running smooth. But listen, I've been down this road before and I've seen it. So I'm just telling you, I think you should get off in this road. You're not going to tell me what to do. You tell me who to date. You're going to tell me where to work. Tell me what school to go to. It's like, oh, it's real quiet in this Presbyterian church. Yeah. And, and part of it is because we have been under leaderships who, who are authoritarians, who do want to dictate, who do want to control our lives. But I can tell you, Collide, you're under a pastor who is too tired to control you. I don't, I'm working on self-control. <laughs> but I say this because... The next season in your life, and get ready, Pastor Andrew, I'm about to call you up. The next season in your life that God wants to do something big. He wants to grow you. He wants to develop you. But it's not going to happen if you don't submit. Give you a few examples of what it can look like in last experiences that we've had here at this church. Submission isn't just about me telling you who to date and not to date or advising. And I'll never tell you what to do. I'll always say, hey, here's what I think. Here's what I think wisdom is. Um, sometimes submission is uh, let, let me say this one line before I finish because I, I want to make sure I said this submission feels like control when you're rebellious submission can feel like control when you have a spirit of rebellion at the end of the day some of us have a spirit of rebellion we don't submit to anybody we don't submit to a pastor we don't submit to a spouse. We don't submit to an employer. We just, so I'm self-employed, so I don't have to be submitted. All right. I knew they weren't going to like that point. But sometimes submission is like, hey, you've only been coming to church like once a month. I need you to start coming four times a month. Oh, but I'm tired. I, I know, so stop doing all the stuff you're doing on Saturday and make some bandwidth for God in your life. Because I've been down this road before and I know what a lack of devotional life and disconnection from a local body is going to end up. I, I know it feels like it's all right and you're doing just fine and you don't have any struggles, but I've been down this road before. See, I, and I hate preaching on submission. I really do. Because I personally believe the more you love people, the more you teach on love, the less you really do have to teach on submission. But I realize that some of us have been triggered. We grew up with parents who are authoritarian. So we've been under pastors who are authoritarian. So we're working through some trauma to get to submission. And it's okay that you're struggling to get there. But I need you to understand your next stage of authority is going to come by you being under authority. Pastor Andrew, come up and I want you to share. Welcome, Pastor Andrew. Oh, y'all suck at clapping. No, it's too late. It's too late. 
Pastor Dell, for clarity's sake, what, what's the question you're asking me? I, I, I wanted you, I, I told him before stage or before service, I said, I want you to come up because he's so good at language. And I said, I just want you to talk about ramble on submission for a little bit. <laughs> because uh, Pastor Andrew, listen, in case you don't know this, we are completely, di- we're so different in so many ways. And there have been so many times in building this church where he's had to practice submission because something's different than how he would have done something. Does that make sense? So I just want you to give your thoughts around submission. I have two thoughts that come to mind. First is this. Um, you can only submit to the measure that you are secure. You can submit to the measure that you're secure. And I mean that in the sense of... Go ahead and preach. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean that in the sense of... I can trust that the outcome doesn't define me. Like, because what happens is... Oh, like, let's say there's an example of like, we're going to have a, a meeting and I want, it to go, I want it to end this way. right? And I need it to go a certain way because I want it to feel like I did a good job and all that stuff. And I'm so caught up. And well, I want it to go this way. I need it to go this way. And, and because, end of the day, it's because there's an insecurity. Because if it doesn't go the way that I want, I don't look the right way. I don't do this. I don't feel good. I don't feel comfortable. But security says, regardless of how things go, I know my worth. I know who I am. I know how God is leading me. I can, try, I can let it go. I don't need anything. I don't need to prove anything. I don't need, a, I don't need it to... to I don't need to show you that I'm worth or any of that kind of stuff. So because I can trust in God, because I can release the outcome, because I can release all of my own anxious need to prove something, all that kind of stuff, I can submit to certain things and and just trust, hey, even though I would have done it differently, I can allow you to do whatever. I can, I mean, potentially, I can allow you to make a fool of yourself, right? And, And I can trust that it's okay just because it, I don't have to let my own insecurity try to control or try to dictate things because I need it to look a certain way, right? One, one, another thing that Pastor Dell asked me earlier was, um, how would you define submission? And the first thought that came to mind was a commitment to alignment, okay? A commitment to alignment. When I, I say that because it's not just alignment, because alignment means you are 100% on board, you feel the same things, you understand, you, 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 know, you agree 100%. You can't force that. You can't, you can't just pretend, like, act like you're 100% aligned. But you can commit to trying. Okay? Hey, I don't 100% feel that like all the way, but I'm committing to come in alignment with you. Does that make sense? So even recently, who, a couple weeks ago we had a service where we prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you guys remember that service? Did, did, was anyone blessed that Sunday? People's lives were changed that day. People, like, history was being made that day. Right? People literally had an encounter that that's, they will remember for the rest of it. That will mark the story of their lives, right? I remember thinking about a couple weeks ahead, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I was just like, I don't know if that's going to be the best thing. Do we really want to do that? What does that say about our vow? What do we emphasize? I had all these thoughts, and I, I sat through it. We even talked about it a little bit, right, briefly. But I thought about it, and I was like, okay, I have my own preferences. I have my own inclinations. I have my own beliefs and values and all these kinds of things. But in that moment, because, and it, it, there's no statement about, well, I'm, he's better than me, or I'm better than him, or who's right or who's wrong. I'm trusting in that moment, because I'm secure in who I am too, I can trust, okay, 
in this time and moment, God is on him to lead his position. Positionally, he is, he's at the front, okay? He, God has given him an, a, a responsibility that he has to own up to, that he has to take on uh, consequences for. And what I'm going to do is say, I don't, I'm not 100% on board, but I'm going to commit to support. Because I believe that whether, however it turns out, God is sovereign. Amen? It could have gone poorly. It could have gone poorly. Maybe nobody got blessed. Maybe God didn't move. Didn't happen. But I believe that God honors my commitment to alignment, my commitment to unity, my commitment to us being on the same page so that we can be knit together in the bond of love and unity. Amen? But a part of that day, I, I wasn't 100% feeling it, but I was praying into it. I was committing to be aligned. I don't know if I see, I don't know if I have a ton of faith for people to get messed up or whatever, but I was, I was committed to it. And God moved. Amen? And I can trust, I entrusted it. Okay, hey, amen. I trust that God has put him in a place of authority. And, and one last thing I'll say is, I was talking to a friend about this because he has this thing against hierarchy against hierarchy, okay? And, and I realized that we as a society, we cannot help but assign value to, a, to hierarchy, okay? If you are a higher position me, than me, that means that intrinsically you are worth more than me. You are more valuable than me. That's why sometimes we can get offended by hierarchy just because that we automatically think, well, you're, a, you're trying to be above me. That means that you think you're more important than me, more valuable than me. You're making a statement on myself. But I'm saying, but I remember talking to my friend about this. When I look at the, the Trinity, when I look at the nature of who God is, there is a natural in, essential hierarchy. Jesus says in John chapter 5, I only do what I see my father doing. Jesus had all power, all authority. He could do anything. He could heal anybody. He could accomplish whatever he wanted. He said, I only do what I see my Father doing. The Holy Spirit, he only goes when Jesus sends him. There's this hierarchy in the, in the person, in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Son, the Father. But never is there a hint of a difference in value. They are all God. But in our culture, we can assign value to position in hierarchy. Right? But the Holy Spirit can be at the bottom of that hierarchy and say, I know who I am. I know my value. I know my worth. And as we as a community come into a place where we know who we are, we know our value, we know our position before God, we know we are loved, we know that we have nothing to prove, nothing to earn, nothing to try and, try and attain or achieve, no. then I can submit to you. I can submit to you because there's nothing at stake so good. for me. Right? But I want to submit in love because I want to see what God wants to do through our unity, through my submission. Is that a little bit? That's so good. I should let you preach on this. Everybody stand with me. Elle, come and help me out on the keys. Everybody stand up with me. Wasn't that a good word? I want to wrap it up with this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Kelly showed me this scripture when I told her what I was preaching on this week. Um, and I, I never read it like that. I never read it like that. So we're going to try it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Here's what it says. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. That's the first part. I didn't write it. He did. Let me read it one more time because it felt good coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. This is the part that I had never read that Kelly showed me. Give them reason to do this with joy and not sorrow. 
I was like, because y'all pastoring is hard sometimes. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, you know, I fuss because it's funny, and I ain't quitting no time soon. But man, sometimes I'm like, man, my job would be easier if people would just do what I asked them to do. Oh, in some ways, right? But then here's the question. How can I trust you? <laughs> number one, you should be under a leader that God's called you to be under, number one. And you can grow in trust. But in reality, and I don't know who said this, but somebody said this to me. In learning spiritual submission, I'm learning how to submit and trust the Lord through you. I'm submitting to you as my leader, as my pastor. But in reality, I'm trusting God. And why is submission necessary for the body of Christ? Because I watch over your soul. No, for real, for real. Are you playing L? Okay, there, you back behind me. Because I need this to go down real sweet and romantic. No, I need you to hear me. I spend hours praying for you. I weep over you. I call you out by name. I, I, I fast for you. I'm not the best pastor. But I am watching over your soul. That's why some of you by way of our relationship and if you're watching online sorry we're having a little church moment you just hang out with us and um this is what you, you know i'm so obsessed in your life what's going on what are you doing all that stuff it's like why is he so nosy because he actually loves you <laughs> somebody said to me i think it was ruth one of our worship leaders she's like man you asked the best questions i was like because i actually really want to know <laughs> and i think maybe we've been under pastors where we haven't had relationship we haven't had a relationship with pastors. We haven't seen that type of pastoring. That's what we're trying to do here. So in this next season, and I'm not trying to preach this message because we have a house full of rebellious people. I'm preaching because it's in the word. And God's showing me that you're not going to come under the authority, the apostolic, the prophetic, all that anointing. It only happens if you submit under that authority. Elijah to Elisha. How did Elisha get a double portion? He hung out with Elijah. Elijah, you going to the store? I'm going to the store with you. You getting your hair cut? I'm getting your hair. I'll get those cockroach things in my head too. I'll go with you, Pastor Elijah. I got you, all right? Elisha was submitted to Elijah and got a double portion of his inheritance and mantle. That's how it's supposed to work. I'm not just supposed to encourage you. I'm supposed to impart something on you. But it doesn't happen if impartation only happens at the altar. And I can't impart wisdom to your finances. I can't impart wisdom to your relationships. I can't impart wisdom to these other areas. God wants more than your Sunday. Does that make sense? Here's how we're going to respond today. Some of us need to repent. So one response is going to be repentance. Maybe you've, um, because of whatever hurt or pain, you've just decided, I'm not submitting. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to be a part, whatever. But I'm not going to be fully submitted. I'll be submitted enough just to make it by Maybe that's you and you need to repent. God wants to humble your heart. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you have some bad church hurt, some experiences, maybe with parents or with uh, bosses or, or whatever. And so it makes it hard for you to submit to leadership because it has a bad taste in your mouth. There's healing for you. Do you hear me? There's healing for the brokenhearted. And God wants to heal that so that that's not a wound that you carry that keeps you from coming under leadership. This message wasn't supposed to be about submission and authority, but I, I just recognize that you, you're never going to be fully discipled if you're not fully submitted. So one of two responses, maybe you need healing. Maybe you need to repent. But whatever that is, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to give a moment, let Elle play on the keys. Worship team, you guys are good. Let Elle play on the keys for a little bit, and then Pastor Andrew will come up and, and close us out.
But let me pray for you. And I want to take a minute after I pray. I'm not even going to say amen. I want you to keep your eyes closed. And I want you to talk to the Lord. And I want you to take a moment and deal with God. Even watching online. You might be listening to this and God's like, oh, you're hitting me, God. God wants you to walk in your authority. But he wants you to come under authority. So God, I, I thank you for this word. And God, um, I pray that we would walk in the authority that you purchased for us. That that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Lord, let it quicken our bodies. And God, I, I pray that we will be a people who don't just walk in power, but will walk in authority. That we are atmosphere shifters, that we transform and change things because we have authority over things, God. You've given us that authority. But Lord, I, I, I admit, I've done some wounding as a leader and a pastor. So I know there are some people here who have been wounded by leadership, by pastors. God, one, I pray that you would heal that wound right now. If that's you and, and you need healing, I just want you to put your hand over your heart. Nobody's looking around. But just as an act of faith, even watching online, put your hand over your heart. God, would you heal every leadership wound? And it may not be from a pastor. It might be from a parent or some other authority figure, but there's a wound there. And it makes it hard to trust authority figures. God, I pray, would you heal that wounding now? Receive it, receive it. Receive it now. Just take a moment and talk with God for a little bit. But God, come in and heal this wound so that we can submit like you called us to submit.